we worship. I never have. I don't think it's fitting. Uh, cultures all over the world worship a little differently. But the word says that the Father seeks those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I just want to encourage you to accept no substitute. We do not have a litmus test for you to pass. You don't have to clap. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to run around the church or dance. You don't have to do anything. But the gospel is founded upon the obedience of the nations. So if there is something that you could not do, even if the Lord was prompting, then this is an obedience issue. It's a question about baptism. It's a question about anything else. Do I have to? No, you get to as the Lord leads. So I want to encourage you to do your very best to break the mold. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, not even this worldly church system. But instead, be renewed by the Word of God. If it's found in the Word, it's okay. Amen? If it's not found in the Word, then you know it's something that should be chewed upon. But i just got to tell you, there's not a single committee in the Word that have the right to dictate the way people worship. So I reject that. Amen? Amen. You want to get into the Word? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I'm still trying to catch my breath. I'm fat and dancing this whole <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful little girl up there? Oh, yeah. Who is that? Yeah, I'm not sure who she belongs to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Abby. Um, I have a bunch to cover with you today. I hope it's a blessing to you. You have to give me a little grace. I feel like I am chained. Uh, and I, I don't like this, but our wireless mic is being healed. And soon we will, we will be over it. So if you are a guest today, if we see you a couple times, we won't think you're a guest anymore. Uh, there is no official membership. We do want to encourage you, if you feel like you are a member of this body, if you want to participate in this ministry, we never pass a plate, but there's a box in the back, and that is a good place to start as far as showing uh, your desire to participate with us. Uh, in August, there's a missionary coming from Mexico, uh, Jay and Judy Williams, and I think everybody knows it here. We put them on our website. We're intimately connected to six nations in the world. That's an awful lot for a little church like this, and we picked up Africa yesterday. So... We're doing our very best to be godly and responsible for what's going on here without overextending anywhere else. But that Heidi Baker book, Always Enough, has just torn me to pieces. Amen. I don't think that we can sit here and say we can't support the work of God somewhere else so that we can buy more lattes and bluebell ice cream. Amen. I just don't think we can do that. Amen. So uh, I want to encourage you to live outward lives that are focused uh, on others, not just ourselves. Yeah. We can say amen to that? Amen. Alright, y'all give me a little grace and we can start our message now? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. You want to hear it? Yeah. 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 yeah! Come on. Some of you are nestling in preparing to go to sleep. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the name of Jesus, no. So, uh, today is July 17, 2011. Our message today is called Highway. In your bulletin, there is a, another name and there's pastor's notes. Those are notes that go along with this message, but I never intended to give you all of them in the pastor's corner of the bulletin. I just wanted to write down some things for you that might be hard for you to catch as we're sharing the word. We're going to start today in Acts 24, uh, so please go ahead, turn there, tell me when you're there. A highway is obviously uh, part of a road system. Uh, name some other parts of a road system. A freeway. 
intersection. An, an intersection. Hey, how about this one, Bill? Poet? Crossroads. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's a service road. There can even be a toll road. I mean, if you live in Houston, you can't get anywhere without a toll road, right? And like all taxes, it was temporary until it was paid for, except it never went away. The devil is a liar, friends. And there are roads you can go down that cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. But that's not what we're talking about yet anyway. Are you in Acts 24? In Acts 24, pick up with me in verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul, Saul Paulus of Tarsus speaking. And he says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers. He's on trial before a man named Felix. And what is he on trial for? Preaching the gospel. And he wants to make his good confession before Felix. He says, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law. That's interesting for the dispensationalist. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I want to tell you that the gospel clearly declares that the early church, the early congregation or community of believers referred to themselves a certain way, and they referred to themselves as followers of the way. You can find that in Acts 9. You can find it in Acts 18, Acts 19, and Acts 22, and multiple places in each one of those chapters. There's a reason for this. In Israeli history, there came to be a path known as the King's Highway. Why don't you go ahead and turn with me to Numbers 21 and we can read about that. Tell me when you're there. Brandon needs a slower Bible so the rest of us can keep up with it. Wow, you guys are getting good. I remember when some of you first came here and your first turn was to the table of contents. If you spend a few services with us, you will get intimately acquainted with where all the books of the Bible are. If you are not yet there, that's okay. You have to start somewhere. Amen? Amen. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and we are in the 21st chapter. Look at verse 21. Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside into any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. Those of you Lord of the Rings fans, Sihon said, you shall not pass. <laughs> it did not turn out good for Sihon. Right? This is one of the first major Israeli military victories other than God drowning the Egyptian army. There was a highway that was the very first time named in Scripture at this verse. And it became known later years as the King's Highway. God had ordained a certain path for the Israelites to walk. And when they were walking in the path that the, that the God of the Jews ordained for them to walk, then they were on the King's Highway. See, in Judaism, you don't believe. You don't ascend to a creed. Men like Enoch walked with God and were no more. Their belief produced action in their lives. So that the first psalm could say, A blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
Men of God walked with God. Every one of the patriarchs, the book of Genesis declares, walked with God. Well, if you're going to walk with God, you have to walk where God is walking or leading you. So as the nation was formed, they came out of the Red Sea, baptized in the Red Sea. And then they followed God's spiritual presence in a cloud by day and a fire by night. And wherever it went, they went. Can you imagine what it must have been like to spend all day setting up a camp? Matthew and I recently built a tent in Mexico. It was 150 feet long and a thousand feet wide. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a little evangelistically speaking. It was probably more like 50 feet wide. And after swinging a sledgehammer for just a little while, Matthew was doing great, but I passed out almost dead. Can you imagine if after spending eight hours to erect that tent, the cloud moved 100 feet to the right? How would you feel? You'd have a real test of your flesh, a real test of will at that moment. Is he your Lord and tells you where to go? Or is he your genie? And you tell him what to do wherever you go. This is the same test that all mankind is still facing today. When they were in the path that God called them, that well-trodden path became known as the king's highway. Obviously, they didn't stay in one straight line like the highway, but this is where the term is derived from. Did you see that they promised not to turn to the left? Not to turn to the right? Not to need any water? not to need any fruit of the vine of the nations they were passing through because their provision came from the living God. This was to develop an attitude in the sense of the living God. It was to tell us that we may not be where we're supposed to be, but we are on our way there. Our King is leading us. You have no need of what the world needs around you. If God needs you to eat, He can rain it down from the sky. If he needs you to drink, he can, like he did for Samson at Enhakor, open a hollow place in a rock for you to drink. Amen. In fact, Enhakor means a fountain for him who cried. The God that we serve showed up in a burning bush to prove to Moses and the rest of the world reading the story, he had no need of the things that we are dependent upon, no need of fuel for his fire. All he wants from us is for us to stretch forth our hands and be obedient. Come on, church, that's worthy of an amen. Amen. Please don't fall asleep. No. <laughs> I'm just joking, really. I don't. I think it's been years since somebody fell asleep and I called their name. So, the King's Highway is one that you don't want to turn to the right. You don't want to turn to the left. You want to stay on the highway. Fair enough? Amen. Look at Proverbs 16. Tell me when you're there. That is amazing. It's almost like he grew up in a pastor's house. In Proverbs 16, uh, you know what I'm going to do, Brandon, is I'm going to cheat. I'm going to turn there then tell you where to go. In Proverbs 16, look at verse 25. This is a familiar one. It shows up twice in the Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Wow. Not just any way that we want to walk ends in life. In fact, Proverbs 16, 17, while you're right there, says the highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. It sounds very much like if we want to experience life, provision, protection, there's a prescribed path 
that we must walk in. And that when we veer off of it because of something like distraction, we could be in trouble. Can you say that that's true? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Well, the Jews were smart people. Still are. Can you give me a hearty amen for that? Amen. amen. Wherever there's two Jews, there's three opinions. And yet, and yet, this immensely brilliant people group, blessed by God, came to consensus about certain things in history. And one of the things that they became came to consensus about in the early church was that the man, the rabbi, who was said to be from Galilee and was actually from Bethlehem, was the way, the truth, and the life. They believed that he was the light of the world in the same way that Moses followed a fire by night, and they believed they must follow in that way. This is because many of them had the book of Isaiah memorized. So when Isaiah began to speak about Yeshua, they recognized him. Today we would call this a messianic community. The truth is, it was the only body that could be called Christian in the first century. There were no Gentiles in the faith until some 15, 20 years after the resurrection. They chose the name Way for their sect because of Isaiah 35. Turn there, you're going to want to read this. I just realized, Brandon, what you have done. I've been studying on my wife's computer because some crack addict has mine. And uh, I made a note on the screen in Brandon's smart, and he wrote it down. All right. In Isaiah 35, this is an important scripture. This is something that I would like you to meditate on just a little bit. Chew it up. See what good you can get out of it. The people of God were in a difficult place. They were facing an Assyrian captivity. The year is some 740 B.C. And they know that destruction is coming on the northern ten tribes. And a few hundred years later, destruction coming upon the southern two tribes. This is a tough thing. This is when you can see coming in your nation's future a judgment. But they're saying they're blessed the whole time. Now, what nation are you guys in? So you can't relate to that at all. I mean, you have no idea what it would be like to see a judgment coming in the future, but everybody around you says, blessed, blessed. Those who were godly were actually in despair over it. Our nation is going to be ripped up by wild wolves. Our nation is going to be beaten. And this prophecy came forward to encourage them. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. After Israel had experienced a severe beating under the Assyrian captivity, and a severe beating under the Babylonian captivity, and was presently being occupied by Rome after Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece had come through, can you believe that they felt like they were in a dry and parched land? 
that they were waiting for the rescue of their God. Listen to the things that would mark the rescue of their God, uh, their God's rescuing of them. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Tell me, friends, when John the Baptist, or <laughs> I should rather say John the Baptizer because he surely was not Baptist. <laughs> when he began to doubt in Jesus' ministry, what did Jesus tell his disciples to go back and tell John this song? Oh, we see that the deaf hear and the blind see and the lame walk. He was signifying, even though this may not look like what you expected, this is the day of the deliverance of our God. They took note of this. They listened. They understood these scriptures. And listen to what it goes on to say. Water will gush forth from the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Yahweh. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It was a day when their every tear would be wiped away because as Psalm 37 says, God would have ordered their footsteps and they would delight in that ordering. They called that the way. Now if there is the way, everything other than that way is wrong. A counterfeit. It's amazing that in our modern times we hear that there are many ways to the one true God. This is nowhere found in Judaism, even if it is found. Uh, Papa Juan Pablo said it. I mean, he said it in 2000 from Jerusalem. That there's all kind of truth uh, in the world. And that anybody who seeks truth actually comes under the, the umbrella of the Catholic Church because uh, they're the embodiment of truth. If, like me, you reject that notion, I would say the embodiment of truth is Jesus. He is yeah. the way, Amen. the truth, and the life. Amen. And that when we follow Him walking in that way, we are followers of the way on the King's right. highway. Amen. You guys Amen. are getting it very, very small. Well, one of the things about a highway is it's not the only way out there that you can travel. We already read Proverbs 16.25, correct? Yeah. And Proverbs 16.25 said there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to... Yeah. Come on guys, we can go down a one-way road, right? Yeah. We can be in a car that we call smart on a one-way road. And you can think that you are right, but you can absolutely be dead right. Watch this little video and see if it will illustrate the point. Not so smart now, huh? Yeah, this is really special from this angle. By the way, this is 40 miles an hour. Ask me why I drive a three-quarter ton truck. Yeah, this is 40 miles an hour. 
Both. 40 miles an hour. Yeah, check, check out this angle. Is that airbag helping a whole lot there? Yeah. You know, what's amazing, uh, and I know y'all uh, will be fascinated with this as I preach to you. What is amazing is every parent has watched their children at some point on a one-way collision course. And you know it's going to be ugly like that. But at some point in a child's life comes emancipation. Where you back off and you say, look, you're going to get to live with your own consequence. Because I no longer am going to be there for you to prevent you or govern you from doing what is right. Instead, you're going to learn for yourself. Is there any parents out there that can relate to that? It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It is a hard thing to watch somebody sow seed that you know is going to be destruction. And all you ever wanted for them is life. Our father is watching a car crash like this all of the time. He said for us, I have a highway for you. I have a way for you to follow. But somehow or another, we can catch little distractions and veer off of that highway, never admitting it, the whole time saying, hey man, I'm on the highway. I mean, nobody in this country anymore says that they're not following Jesus. Instead, they say, of course I'm a Christian. God bless America. Turn with me to Isaiah 56. There, Are you all there? Isaiah 56? There. Now go back to Isaiah 53. <laughs> okay, so in Isaiah 53, look at verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah prophesied about a day in which all of man's going their own way would be laid upon one human being. So that the kind of destruction that you see from that crash would not have to fall upon your life. But instead, somebody could receive that as a substitute for you and they could grant you the life that you did not deserve. What an amazing thing. But instead, many of us choose a tollway. And when we choose this tollway, what we are really doing is rejecting what our God has already paid for and provided for us. Because it is a freeway, we don't think it is special. Sometimes until we have paid something, we don't recognize how beautiful the freeway is. I one time got arrested in Donaldsonville, Louisiana over a toll that I think was less than $2. And they called it the Sunshine Bridge. It was raining for me that day. I didn't have the money. So I wanted to go to an ATM. But the ATM would only let me withdraw amounts of money in 20s. And I didn't have a 20. <laughs> so they took me to the little rent-a-cop shed where I got to go sign away my life over a dollar twenty-five cent toll. When I left, I was appreciative of all of the freeways. Sometimes after we pay a terrible price, you begin to recognize the freedom that God has for you. Then comes the question, why on earth would we ever have considered running down a tollway? And I think it's billboards. What you see on this screen is my experience at Mardell's Christian store yesterday. I went to Mardell's because Yvette Blanchard is in town and she wanted to get some homeschooling materials. So while they're looking at you know, pencils and erasers and whatever they were looking at. Judah and I went to five aisles and pulled a book at random off of the aisles. Judah, am I lying? No. 
We just walked up to the aisle, looked, and the book that stood out the most on that aisle, I pulled. I want to show you what what you find in a, a good American bookstore. See, you can tell something about a society by what the people want to purchase, can't you? I mean, if they'll pay money for it, then this shows some kind of desire. Well, imagine that you're going down God's highway, but somebody tells you what you really need is a church kit based on something called a grace explosion because your neighborhood needs a grace awakening. And on the back of the book, they tell you in this one little box, what you can get is a campaign planning guide with templates to help you with a grace explosion in your neighborhood along with customizable sermons and templates for giving an invitation to receive the grace explosion. Now what if the Lord's message for the people is more like, I don't know, He gave the prophet Micah. He said, but as for me, I am filled with power to declare to Jacob his unrighteousness. What if maybe what this nation needs is not a grace explosion, but an awakening to the pending judgment of God? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess you won't sell very many books that way is what will happen. This is like a billboard. And most of the nation has taken a wrong turn here to the point that Jude prophesied accurately and said they will change God's grace into a license for immorality. Tell me, is there not really enough grace spread around in the American church today? We don't hear enough preaching on grace. There's not enough emphasis on grace. It's all doom and gloom and judgment. Is that really the truth? No. Probably not. But this book was the most prominently featured on the aisle. Maybe it was just this book. How about this one? If I'm stepping on a toe here, it's okay. I actually like a few of these authors. Unbroken Curses. The American church needs to learn about unbroken book curses, this book declares. Well, we could argue about that all day long in the role of deliverance ministry, but let's listen to the first curse that Americans would need to break in order to be successful in the kingdom of God. Are you aware that many victims of an unbroken curse are, are victims? Are you aware of the many victims of an unbroken curse? Today, countless of thousands of people throughout the world are plagued by unexplained poverty. Really, in America, what we need right now is to break the curse of poverty? Are you kidding me? Most of the world, far in excess of 90% of the world, does not have one car. How many of you in here have two? Now, most of the world does not have clean drinking water. How many of you have some bottled water with you today? Most of the world lives on less than $3 a day. Anybody in here can scrape together more than $3? But apparently, what Americans would like to do is learn how to break the curse of poverty or you couldn't sell this book for $14.99. Oh, here was a good one. Holy yoga. I, I kid you not, I'm not making this stuff up. Holy yoga. Exercise for the Christian body and soul. I actually did not pick up the first book on the aisle on this case because I thought that the picture on the cover might cause some of the young men problems. It was a side profile of this very same woman. Let's see what they're advertising here. Well, says that um, 
I don't want to name her. What this person teaches through this inspiring and informative book is a profound physical worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through prayer, breath work, and movement. Because this is what the American church needs is to figure out how to incorporate a Hindu's worship into our worship. Now look, if you take yoga, guys, our dollar bills are dirty too, and I still use them, okay? Uh, I'm not suggesting that a Christian could not take yoga, but what I am suggesting is, why would somebody need to pay $19.99 to learn how to worship Jesus through yoga? But this is what we're selling. On God's highway, there are billboards placed by the enemy. And we are so easily distracted. How about this one? Pray fit. Uh, because we all know that when you picture the apostles, they were bronze Adonises. Oh, yeah. I mean, move over Schwarzenegger. What we have is the apostle Peter. I mean, come on, saints. Pray fit. So I scoured this book and I wondered, what does it mean to pray fit? And then I realized, oh, Tyler Perry. If Tyler Perry endorsed this book, I mean, who doesn't love Big Mama's house, right? I mean, if Tyler Perry endorsed the book, then it must be good. Let me read the back cover. Well, Mario Lopez, the uh, host of Extra, uh, the news program, they endorsed it. So, I mean, must be a good book. But look, if you want everything to be established by more than two witnesses, Let's not miss that LL Cool J, an actor and entertainer, said, this is the best book he's read. Wow. Do we have some distractions in our Christian life? Look, LL Cool J may be a wonderful human being. I have no idea. In my day, there was a whole East Coast, West Coast thing going on that maybe it got resolved and I don't know it, but for $17.99, you can learn to pray fit. Here was my personal favorite. The power of money. Because Americans don't know anything about that. Do they? For $16.99, you can jump out of the same old money rut of feeling like you are worth more than you are being paid and that you can never get financially ahead. This book will teach you how to do that. Because that's what Americans need to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could do this all day long, but I think probably just one more. Can y'all bear with me for one more? Mom, do I have your approval for one more? One more. Come hey, on. everything that I do is ultimately her fault. I came into the world through her. This one caught my eye. Apparently they were not able to sell this book because it is on the bargain aisle for $3.99. But I, I would like you to note that this is not a critical book. Not in any way. In fact, the back of the book says, you must read this perceptive and well-written book. Then you will know why this man has such a passion for justice and equity and such a gift for filling people of different generations with a newfound hope. Goes on to extol the virtues of about five politicians on the back cover of this. And this, this is the diet of the American Christian. By the way, to do this, I had to walk past Bibles for grandmas, Bibles for teens, Bibles for children's workers, Bibles that work the system of prayer Jacob's, Bibles that do this, 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 
this, this, and you may have one. It's okay. But why do we need a specialized Bible? Do you think that maybe on this way that we're on, we've become so easily distracted that all we want is the cliff notes and we're looking at all the sites around us, hoping to eat some of the vineyards of the world and drink some of the water that is not on the King's Highway? I mean, if we have to find a way to go borrow from the Hindus uh, a, a recognized Hindu exercise and say, no, 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 this is worship of Jesus, and put a woman in a bathing suit on the cover to sell it, are we really on the King's Highway? Guys, I'm not trying to pick on anybody's particular genre. There's actually a couple of those authors, authors that I've read many times. Having said that, you buy books or you, you write books usually that people will buy. Those of you that have tried to get books published, you know how difficult it is to get anything published that says the truth in it. Amen. But you can sell this kind of garbage all day long. This says what our appetite is for. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17. Tell me when you're there. Brandon couldn't write that fast earlier. Jeremiah 17. I want to talk to you about the toll road and how high the toll is. Jeremiah 17. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of the sin throughout your country. The wealth that could be yours, wealth meaning spiritual wealth, abundance in the Lord, the blessings that could be ours, we give away when we sin. And what was the sin about in most of those instances? Wanting something that God had already given you, but you were not pleased with. Do you really need more grace? The Bible says that you've been given in 1 Timothy, the word is hooperplasio. It means more than more than enough. You follow me? Yeah. More than enough is plasio. Hooper is more than that. More than more than enough. But what we really need is a grace explosion. How many of you are destitute in here? If you are, have the courage to raise your hand. Out of the needs, out of this body of many, we will meet your need. Now, not only are we not destitute, from a world's perspective, we really are the rich young ruler, aren't we? Aren't we the ones that have the most in the world? If, if you took a man from every country in the world and put him in this room, by virtue of being an American, you would have more than almost any other person there. So who would Jesus look at and say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then you can follow me? Us. Probably us. And yet commentary after commentary in this very same bookstore would tell you all the reasons that can't apply to you. Doesn't necessarily apply to you. You should probably read it some other way. You think maybe we've made the gospel very palatable to us. I want to be on the king's highway. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in the land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts, uh, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The Lord is leading us 
Micah 2.13 says that the Lord has broke open a way for us and He is leading us at the head. In other words, He's saying, walk as I walk. Look, here's my footsteps. Put your feet here. This is what a godly life looks like. But there are billboards all around us promising us ridiculous things along with Jesus. Who can name for me the first commandment? You shall have no gods besides me or alongside me. Nobody in America says, no, I don't believe in God. Well, there's a very few, but you know what Proverbs says about them. What we do instead is we take alongside our devotion to Christ, devotion to every other thing. Friends, that's a toll road. And when you're on the toll road, the tickets can be expensive. In Deuteronomy 29, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you, it's 19 through 21. You very well should write this down. He says, if you persist in going your own way, and yet invoke a blessing on yourself, saying, because I'm the Lord's, I'm blessed, know that I will never be willing to forgive you. God says that. If you don't believe me, you can't turn there. Somebody turn, check it. See if I'm making this stuff up. He said, I will never be willing to forgive you. The person who persists in going their own way, they will not repent, they will not turn around, will not receive forgiveness. Well, that brings up a very important point then. What on earth is it to repent? How many of you have your bulletins there? In your bulletin, I wrote down a Hebrew word for uh, repentance. It actually literally translates return. It is teshuva. Teshuva is a tenet of Judaism, which means that it was a tenet of Jesus. Repentance in the Bible is defined by Numbers 5. You should write that down as well. In Numbers 5, we find out that anybody who has sinned has sinned first and foremost against God even if they committed the sin against another human being. Did you hear that? That means, saints, if somebody sins against you, who did they sin against first? God. God. And it means if you sin against someone, who did you sin against first? God. First and foremost, sin is against God. Secondly, it's against your brother. I call this the Genesis 3-4 connection. When there is a break in relationship with God and man, it shows up between man and man. A hundred percent of the time. First John tells us that if we have fellowship with the Father, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. There is a relationship here. So the Jews believe that the first step in repentance is making confession. Now this is not a private confession. It's not a confession in the inner recesses of your heart. Let me ask you something. Let's suppose you never knew me. You knew nothing about me. And uh, I said, hey, look, if we're going to negotiate on the price of your house, there's no reason for a contract. There's no reason for anything else, especially let's not have any witnesses. In fact, meet me out in the country where there are no cameras, there are no recording devices, there is no witness. And uh, I'll make you a promise there in private that I will keep the terms of our contract. How excited would you be about that? Not. <laughs> Ladies, when some man promises that he loves you in private, but he hasn't made it public through an eternal marriage covenant and a wedding band on your finger, 
you would be as foolish as the statement he made you to believe that. Our king, the king of the universe, does not want confessions that nobody hears. You know why? Because when you put this thing away in private and in secret and nobody knows about it, nobody knows about it. And that's a problem. Jews believe that confession must hurt. <laughs> Not adding to the cross as some ridiculous theologians say, but in making sure that there's an actual desire to not repeat the behavior. So the very first thing that you do is you confess to another person. Yeah? First John bears witness with this. In fact, if you're praying at the altar according to the book of Matthew and realize that your brother has something against you, what do you do? You leave the altar and go. First Peter says that uh, uh, husbands and wives ought not argue because they'll hinder their prayer. The reality is that when we make no effort to actually admit in some kind of way that hurts we were wrong, we have not begun to repent. Any of you ever have those parents, grandparents, or friends who have parents? They're like, he's never told me he loves me. Oh yeah, but you know he does. Why should we be left to guess at things like that? These are the most important things in life. When you sin, say so. I sin. I'm sorry. This is the first step in repentance. The next step in repentance, according to Numbers 5, is that you separate yourself from that sin. Uh, whatever it takes, you stop it. See, we call repentance saying I'm sorry, but planning to do it again. Our Christian theologians have surrendered to this and called it grace. They've changed grace into a license for immorality. Grace is that you can repent. It is not grace to say, because I said I'm sorry, I'm forgiven. Read the book of Acts. Peter looked right at Simon the sorcerer and said, pray and perhaps God will forgive you for having such a wicked thought in your heart. Forgiveness is dependent upon several things, actually. Number one, you have to forgive other people. You cannot be forgiven if you do not forgive other people. Number two, you have to separate yourself from sin. You have to walk in a new direction. How about this next one? You have to return to the right way. It's not enough to say, I won't do that anymore. He who has been stealing should steal no longer, but what's the next line? Do something useful with his hands. We don't only admit that we stole and then stop stealing. We start to do something useful with our hands. See, this is not a do good. I mean, this is not a, an, an actionless feel good religion. The religion that the Rabbi Yeshua taught had teeth to it. Friends, it's embarrassing to sin. And it should be. You know, a Christian who loves me very much said this stuff is just not done in churches because the truth is people don't want to know. We have an unspoken agreement. I'm okay and you're okay. Let's not dig any deeper and maybe we'll all pretend to like what we see. But who is that really serving? We've got the kind of car crash of that little smart car that you saw going on all around us and we're just going to stick our head in the sand and pretend like it didn't happen. The last part, according to Numbers 5, is you make restitution. Say, well, Eric, I can't make restitution. It involves somebody that I've never seen before. It involves... Then your restitution, Numbers 5 says, belongs to the Lord. 
The reality is we can never make restitution for the things that we've done. Jesus made restitution for us. But in exchange for that, you are supposed to belong to the Lord. Amen. You do not belong to Him if you continue to do what He has told you not to do. My dog can say that he's my dog all day long, but if he won't come to me when I call him and he doesn't reside in my house, whose dog is he? Those of you that know Weenie know what a disloyal little thing he is. He's easily distracted. He can't stay in the right way. Friends, if you have been on a toll road, you might need to make a U-turn. The way back to the highway is the service road. Do something useful with your hands. Turn with me to the book of Ezra. I'm not saying you can earn your salvation. I hate to even have to answer those kind of silly hypothetical things. I don't know anybody in America that thinks they can earn their salvation. But what I am saying is stop busying yourself with the things you would like to do and start busying yourself with the things that you know that the Lord would like you to do. In Ezra, I'd like to just read to you the sixth chapter and then we're going to move right on to the ninth. In the sixth chapter of Ezra, starting in verse 18. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what was written in the book of Moses. It wasn't enough to build the temple. It wasn't enough to resettle the people in their land. The thing that had to be done is a restoration of the service of God. How many people sit in church all of their lives hearing all about Jesus. They've settled in the right place. They have built the right buildings. But they are not busy serving God. And why aren't we? Because we hired a full-time Christian minister or servant and he does it for us. This is not biblical sense. You are a kingdom of priests. If you feel like you have been going the wrong way, you might need to make a U-turn. You might need to turn. This is Hebrew shub. You might need to make an about face, changing your mind, your heart's intention, and the direction of your body. And like Teshuba says, return to the right road. What this looks like if you're on a long trip is you realize you got on the interstate going the wrong direction. And although it's cost you money, it's cost you time, and it's humiliating guys to admit we did need the directions. <coughs> You U-turn and you do whatever it takes to head in the direction God did send you because you can never arrive at the destination He called you to unless you do. Never. What we have most of the time though is, you know, I feel really bad about going the wrong way, but I've already got so much invested in it and I'm just going to continue. And somehow or another, because of God's great grace, it'll work out in the end. That is a lie. It is a lie. The reason the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance of those who are redeemed or guaranteeing what is to come is because He is leading you. He is your godly positioning system. He's your GPS. He says, you must turn here. If you don't make the turn, He says, I'm recalculating, but it's going to cost you something. The reason Jesus told us to carry our cross daily was so that we would not miss the GPS directions. That's why That's why he did it. See, what happens is you go, oh, look at that pretty billboard over there. I'll scrap the path just a little bit. I mean, it's fascinating. It's like fireworks. 
and the godly positioning system saying, don't do it. The price is higher than they're telling you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt people around you. He said, no, nobody will know. I'll just glance over there for a little while. And meanwhile, it's reaping destruction all around. And maybe you just can't see it yet because who knows when they're deceived, friends? Would it be deception if you knew you were deceived? I was called with a question here recently. A man in another state said, what do you think about this? He said, I think you've sat in a bad situation so long that you can't trust your own discernment. It needs to come from the Word. And if it doesn't come from the Word, I don't think you can trust your inner witness at this point. Come on, guys. How many decisions that you're making can you say, God spoke to me out of His divine Word to do it? Instead, this flaky, crazy, charismatic Christianity, charismatic zoo, says, oh, I felt led. What did you feel led to do? Well, I saw these numbers on a license plate. I saw these numbers on a clock, and I knew it was God. Now, that makes you stupid, not spiritually led. Think about it. We lay at the feet of the Lord our every distraction, and then when it doesn't prove well for us, what do we do? We go, oh, the Lord's now calling me over here. Because we could never admit that we sinned publicly. Got out of the way. Need to make a course correction. Need to make amends for what you wronged. Get back on the right path. We could never do that because we're Americans. We need to decide if we want to be a Christian or not. There is a highway. Turn with me to Ezra 9. If you don't love the Jewish people, you haven't read enough of your Bible. And those of you that have grown up with uh, some anti-Semitic feelings, uh, that's perfectly normal, perfectly natural, in the same way this, the sinful nature is. The devil is anti-Semitic. Uh, and because he hates God's people and he hates God's land and he would like to destroy it, when we are controlled, Ephesians 2, by a spirit of disobedience, of course we have anti-Semitic things. But when you fall in love with Yeshua and you fall in love with the nation that he built, you are able to be instructed by His people. Do you really think that by virtue of your race, whatever your race is, that you are somehow better than someone else? Better than any of God's people? God chose one race as a place to start. His intent was that through this one people group, He blessed the whole world. This is not all that different than He might have chosen you as a little mustard seed in your own family with the intent that it would affect your whole family. And sometimes, friends, Israel got off the path. And because they got off the path, people have looked down on them and scorned them and said, oh, how could they have got off the path? Never looking to see where the person making the statement was standing. Come on, are you understanding me? I didn't lose you in that, did I? Got a giant log in our own eye, but so sure that if we were there, we would have done things differently. What in your Christian walks makes you think that you would die for Jesus? You know, that's a question I ask people all the time. Everybody says, oh yes, I would die for Jesus. I, I'm with Him till the end. But if it requires you to die to even your own desire, like say air conditioning without three or four days, how do you do with it? Yeah, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? We're somehow convinced that because we know all about what the highway looks like, that we're on the highway. When in reality, we're on a toll road and we're racking up debts. We're being ticketed because we persist in going our own way. Are you in Ezra 9? Yes, ma'am. Yes. 
Ezra 9. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate. They have not kept themselves sanctified. From the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. Ezra found out that among those who were called to be separate, they had mingled themselves with the world so that they had blurred the distinction between those who belong to God and those who belong to the world. And they produced offspring together that you couldn't really tell. Is that of God or is that of the world? Friends, if that's not preaching to your heart, you are in the wrong church. We stay surrounded so much by the world that people look and go, is that one of the holy race? Or is, are they of the world? Well, I don't know. When you look at their kids, it's hard to tell. I'm not picking on our children. I'm picking on the fruit of our lives. What does the fruit of your life say? This would separate and distinct, called uniquely, distinctly by God. You remember why Haman hated the Jews? Anybody remember it? He said they're a wall makes them different than all the other peoples of the earth. Well, it wasn't their law to start with. It was the living God's law. And you need to know something. That same law, i.e. God's Word, no different, should make Haman today look at you and say, those people are different than every other person Amen. on the planet. Amen. And they should hate you for it. You know why? They hated Messiah. They can't kill him and love you. Or you don't belong to him. Mm. This is difficult. It may not sell many books. I get that. That's why we preach in storefront churches. Praise God, our storefronts are getting bigger. Yeah. Amen. John asked one time, how big was that first church? Joy said, about two, two cars big. Met in a garage. But you know what? If the king of the universe was born in a manger... And he had a message that changed the world. I'm not ashamed of even storefronts. I want to be wherever the king's highway is. I want to encourage you too before we move on with this message. We're not an exclusive group. There's this word, it's esoteric. It means that you have a hidden body of knowledge. No, this good news is for all people. And I have found the most powerful Christians in places that would never sell books. Little 96-year-old woman, Cody, at the bottom of a valley. She had never seen running water. But when you prayed with her, there was the power of God. You find people in the King's Highway all over the world. It's in our land of distraction that the distinctions have been blurred so much. Ezra had a reaction to this. Look at verse 3. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Did you know that Romans 12 says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good? Yes. Friends, we celebrate what is evil. 
We laugh at it. We watch it on TV and fast forward through the commercials. But we don't get appalled anymore. We are not furious over sin anymore. In fact, we kind of just don't talk about it a lot. In Darren's house, he gets mad about sin. Pulled all his hair out. <laughs> What's that say about you with full heads of hair? <laughs> Listen. This righteous man was disturbed in his righteous spirit. Why was it important that there be a holy race? Now, every satanic dictator that there's ever been has tried to pervert this principle. There had to be one people group that was distinct from every other on the planet so a Messiah could be born to them for all peoples. But if you couldn't recognize them, if they were so interlaced with the world you couldn't recognize them, then the promise given to that specific family would be unrecognizable. They would be homogenous with the world. No difference between them. And this is what the devil wants to do to you. Pure means unmixed with any other matter. He wants to so thoroughly mix you that there is no distinction between you and them. Listen to how Ezra handled this in verse 4. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. This word is hared or hared. It's hard for me to say. I need some milk to speak Hebrew. <laughs> Trembled. It doesn't mean to shake. Isn't that crazy? It means to shake in many places in the Bible. Here it doesn't mean that. It's not a verb at all. It's an adjective. It describes the state of somebody who is trembling or shaking with a reverential fear. In other words, Ezra didn't shake in a way you could see it. But you didn't know how to describe what was going on inside him other than he was moved in the center of his being with a reverential concern for God's Word. When he realized that the nation was off track, he began to quiver somewhere inside and said, whatever it takes, we have to do something. This is a step towards repentance. Look at chapter 10. In chapter 10, look at this first verse. While Ezra was praying and confessing, he threw himself down before the house of God. A large crowd of Israelites, men and women and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Don't tell me there's repentance when there is no remorse. Friends, that's cheap grace. It's sloppy of God. There's no remorse. Look, we're, we're all just sinners. You know, we're going to sin as long as we're in this body. No, you take that to some other church. They'll have you anywhere. You can go have a grace explosion. Sin breaks the heart of God. It damages lives. There's no such thing as an innocent sin. There's no such thing as a sin that has no consequence. In fact, you're on a toll road. You don't know how much the tolls are going to be, but they're more than you would want to pay. I'd just like to tell you that in verse 3 he commands that they're separate from their sin. In verse 14 he commands that they return to a right way. In verse 3 and in verse 8 he talks about making restitution. The Bible says let's make a covenant. The words in Hebrew are actually cut a covenant. Because we sin something is going to have to die for us to get back right. 
And by the way, any Israelite that would not separate from the sin forfeited their citizenship in Israel and their property. Wow. But what do we do? Slap you on the back and say, you're a pretty good old boy. I won't call it out if you don't call out mine. Come on, church. The way of the Lord is the way of holiness. I didn't get a chance to hear Jacob's message, but I understand it was on holiness. I want, want you to know this must be because the God of holiness in whose road, on whose path we're supposed to be standing wants us to be holy. Yeah, would that be a fair assessment? Yes. Turn with me to Judges 7. Can y'all give me 10 minutes? Yeah. I appreciate you giving me 10 minutes because I was going to take them, but you gave them. But it feels good if we all feel good about it. Right? Brandon, I want you to know this new Bible. When I get this down, brother, you're going to be no match for me. Because when I turn what feels to me like three pages, I go an entire book in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's fast. It's fast. I need a set of breaks. In Judges 7, I would like you to see another use of this word, tremble. It's in uh, verse 1 and 2. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. I'm sorry, Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel might not boast against me, that announced to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. 32,000 set out on the path of God to do something for God. But the truth is that 22,000 of them were moved in their innermost being, in their emotional state, not by the Word of God and what it said, but by fear and what they felt around them. And so God said, although they're on my path, headed to where I've told them to go, since I am not their motivation, tell them to go home. We don't need them. Wow. You can be moved by so many things in your inner being. We need to be honest about what it is. What the inner voice says. Is it any surprise that when things get difficult, you hear a voice in your head saying, give up? Yeah. Well, that's your inner voice, right? Is it God's voice speaking through your spirit? Well, there are times that He may want you to give up. You may be on a task He didn't send you on. These guys missed the glory of God because they were moved by the wrong thing in their inner being. I'd like to tell you that in 1 Samuel 4, 12-21, you can write that down and I'll tell you the story. A man named Eli refused to correct his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. His job was to correct them. Now, we can serve them. We can say, oh, the Lord bless you. I'll set such a good example for them. They will follow my example. If they don't do their chores, I'll do them for them. Because that's what Jesus would do. This is how this goes in the Christian life, right? Uh, even though God put me in authority and expects me to direct my household, what I'll do is I'll call it Christ-like and I will be passive and get out of the way and hopefully they will eventually recognize what they should be doing. Guys, this is not what God called us to. You are to be so moved 
in your inner spirit by His Word, that if you had to pull hair out to get it done, you would do it. Read the last chapter of Nehemiah. He did that. When Ezra saw people that were sinning, he called a nationwide fast. He got all of the people, read the Word, and they decided what to do. When Nehemiah saw it, he snatched them ball-headed. That's where we got the term. Because they were under his authority. Eli had authority from God as the high priest, but he also had supreme authority in his own home because he was daddy. But he would not correct his children. God only knows why. Maybe he thought he was being a Christ-like example to them by being merciful. Maybe they were having their very own little grace explosion. (laughs) So he knows that his sons went off to battle and took the ark of God. And the ark of God was captured. And Eli asked about the ark of God. He was in his 90s and he was a big guy. And it says that he trembled. Actually, your Bible is going to say was afraid, but the Hebrew word is his heart trembled. He fell over backwards and died. Friends, it's not enough to be moved by consequence. Where was that inner moving and reverence for the Word of God when it was time to do something? Are you hearing me? Repentance is about action, not inaction. Did you hear that? Repentance is not not doing something. It's not doing something, returning to the right path, making restitution, and never going back. Repentance is about adhering to the highway, not just standing back and letting it run. The Western concept of peace has ruined the church. For the sake of what we call peace in our homes, there is no structure between husbands and wives. There is no discipline between wives and children. Instead, every man goes his own way. And the authority of the Lord is nowhere to be found. Friends, God has invested in mankind power. All the power of the kingdom of God has been invested in mankind. He paired us off many times in couples to help us and in families to spread the gospel. This was the purpose. God wanted godly fruit from all of this. In Judges, they feared doing God's will. In Samuel, they feared consequence. Philippians 2.12 says, But you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm saying that in your innermost being, something should be happening. You should be reverencing God's Word. To where you are not scared of the consequence of doing God's will. You are not scared of the consequence of not doing God's will. You are just so moved in your inner being that it must be God's way. You would do anything to get there. That's what it is to be on the highway. And I want to tell you the truth. It always requires you to eat pride. It always causes you to swallow your pride. It always is more narrow than you would like to go down. It always leaves your flesh on the walls. Always. Because that's what the crucifixion is. That's what it is, friends. I know. We've got them hanging around our necks. I can see them in the room. They're shiny and they're beautiful. If you're in Catholic country, it looks like a fishing lure with a strange figure on it. We have all of these images. But what the cross actually is, is the death of your sinful nature. 
that you might be identified with God's highway. You could be called a follower of the way. I want to read to you two more scriptures, and we have a special song. Miss Joe, would you work your way up here? Turn with me to Isaiah. We're going to be in the 40th verse, 40th chapter, right? There. There. I'm not. I should there. let y'all go first. There. <laughs> are y'all mad at this point? No. Two of you aren't mad. What about the rest of you? You can no, say something. Okay. Have some courage. Speak up. I didn't beat up anybody in a church ever. If you are, we're finished. This is an amazing thing. We heard that there was a highway, a way of holiness, and that Israel identified with it. But somebody would have to come preaching a different message first. There would have to be a message preached before the way of holiness could be revealed. This was John the Baptizer's message. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't be very comforting to me if I got paid back twice for all my sin. Like I would say paying one ticket would be enough, right? This is not what this word means. In Israel, somebody hold up a bulletin. Hold it up sideways. Somebody in the front. Cody, you're tall. Take somebody's bulletin. Hold it up so they can all see it. Hold that bulletin up. Let, let both pages hang down. In Israel, if you were given a ticket of sorts, if you owed a debt of sorts, let's just say that Zeke and I had a dispute and I wronged him. And I also wronged Ryan and wronged David. So what happened is they got a creditor in Israel who before the year of Jubilee and the year of any cancellation of debts listed on this piece of paper all of the wrongs that I did. And the law of Moses required that I pay them back and add one-fifth to it. Can you imagine if every wrong you ever did, you had to pay back and add one-fifth to it? You could be staring at that list going, man, this is a written code, and it is against me, as Colossians says. You could look at this debt that could not be paid, and you would go, what do I do? In our country, there's no bankruptcy. In other countries, you ought to see what bankruptcy is. There's no debtor's prison, I should say. It might take your son. It might take your daughter. When you take the bottom of that paper and fold it to the top in Hebrew, that's called making kephel. Doubling it over. That was the signal to the world this debt has been canceled. It's paid. Comfort, comfort to my people. I have just paid with debts. What message would have to precede that? Read these verses below. A voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low the rough ground shall become level the rugged places plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance because without repentance you cannot see the glory of God. What did repentance look like? 
picking low places and forcing them to the surface, picking high places and forcing them back down so that there was a level king's highway in your life to walk on that you didn't veer from the left or the right. Then you could see the glory of God and He will have paid your debts. But Deuteronomy says if you persist in going your own way, He will never forgive you. Even if they promise you a church kit called Grace Explosion, it's not true. Those are just billboards. Those are just distractions. We'll close with Isaiah 66. This is the second verse. Let's start in the first verse. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? And where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Friends, the king of the universe is looking for a response to his word. He's looking for you to be so moved in your inner being that even if it caused the loss of your hair, your life, your finances, your children, you recognize in Ezra 10 they were sending away children. They would do whatever it took to test you, make a U-turn and get on the right path. We're going to worship together. Joe has a song. I'm going to stay at the altar. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. This is not an altar call. This is the end of a church service, and you do whatever the Lord has moved you to do. Your highways might go in different direction, but they're all marked by obedience. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet.
We will see you uh, Monday night for Foundations. If you're a part of uh, VBS, we'll see you.